Now, as we read the Gospels, we, I want you to think about when you read a story in the Gospel, it's important, right? I mean, we think about the fact that the Gospels were not written like while Jesus lived, they came later. And so if you were writing a Gospel, Joanne, you would look at the stories and you would think about what all you heard and you would say, oh, this story's important and this story's important. Somebody else, Bob, you may look at those stories and go, yeah, that's important, but this one's important. And she forgot that one, so this one's important. And that's how the Gospels were kind of formulated. They looked and they thought, these are the ones that, that we need to know about, we need to talk about. So if a Gospel writer puts it in, we pay attention. Now, if two of them talk about it, like it's really important, right? I mean, it's because that, I mean, multiple voices were like, no, the church needs to hear this. If three of them would talk about it, then we certainly would want to pay attention. Do y'all know how many stories are recorded by all four of the Gospels other than the resurrection of Jesus? So other than the resurrection, do y'all know how many stories are talked about by all four of the Gospels? Nobody in the sanctuary has their hand up. One. One story is recorded by all of them. Anybody want to take a guess what that story is? What? The birth of Jesus. Uh, but, okay, so yeah, birth of Jesus, but not all of them talk about the birth of Jesus. They talk about it in different ways. Resu other than the resurrection. We're going we're gonna to realize that the resurrection is definitely important. So they, were, they all talked about resurrection. Bob? The Last Supper. No, not all four. They talked about it different ways. The only story recorded by all of the Gospels is the feeding of the 5,000. All of them say that you, the church, need to hear this story. So let's read it together. If you've got your Bibles, we're going to look at Luke's version. Luke chapter 9. Luke chapter 9, verses 12 through 17 is the section we're going to focus on. Starting in verse 12, it says, Late in the afternoon, the twelve came to him and said, Send the crowd away so that they can go to the surrounding villages and countryside and find food and lodging, because we are in a remote place here. He replied, You give them something to eat. They answered, We have only five loaves of bread and two fish. Unless we go and buy food for all this crowd, about 5,000 men were there. But he said to the disciples, Have them sit down in groups of about 50 each. The disciples did so, and everyone sat down. Taking the five loaves and the two fish and looking up to heaven, he gave thanks and broke them. Then he gave them to the disciples to distribute to the people. They all ate and were satisfied, and the disciples picked up 12 basketfuls of broken pieces that were left over. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Now, I shared last week the word... Uh, Companion comes from the Latin word companera. The word companion means to break bread. And so what we see is Jesus often in ministry breaking bread with people. And we looked at that last week, an opportunity where Jesus broke bread with the Pharisee and then the sinful woman comes in. What can we draw from that story? And so today we're going to look and focus in on this story where Jesus breaks bread 
and feeds 5,000 people. Now let's think about a little bit about what's going on. The story, we tend to, 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 the story occurs at least in Bethsaida. And if you go over, it's one of the things that's really great when you go over to Israel is you can kind of see how this topography and geography all plays together. Uh, Bethsaida is about a two-hour walk from Capernaum. And that was kind of Jesus' home base was Capernaum. And so he tells the disciples that we're going to get in a boat, we're going to go somewhere, and we're going we're to take a break. We're going to take a, a rest. And they get in the boat, and typically in that time, they would take the boat and they would follow the shoreline from Capernaum over to where Bethsaida is. Now, it's interesting when you see that, because when you're over there, you can see how this would play out. People would see the boat. When they followed the shoreline, people would see that Jesus and the disciples were moving and that they were going from one direction to the other. And you know that they began to talk amongst each other to see that Jesus is going. We want to follow Jesus. We want to be around Jesus. We want to hear what Jesus has to say. We want to bring our family members to come so that Jesus can heal them. And so they go along with him. So Jesus and the disciples are moving forward in order to take a break. And all of a sudden, 5,000 people are there. Now, if you go back and look at the earlier in the story, the disciples had been out um, doing what Jesus had commissioned them to go and do. They went out in twos and they uh, preached the gospel. They proclaimed the kingdom of God. They cast out demons. They, 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 they had healing. They gave of themselves. Have you ever been one of those people where you give of yourself completely to someone? This is what the disciples had done. They were completely empty. Jesus had been ministering to people and he realized or found out that his cousin, John the Baptist, had been beheaded. So he was grieving. He was experiencing loss. He was experiencing sadness. And so he says to the disciples, let's get in a boat. Look at how Mark records it in six, Mark 6, verse 31. Come with me by yourselves to a quiet place and get some rest. Jesus and the disciples just needed a break. They were exhausted. Physically, emotionally, spiritually, they were exhausted. So do you think the disciples were happy when 5,000 people showed up? Who among you thinks that the disciples were happy at that moment that 5,000 people showed up? Again, no hands going up in the sanctuary. This is where they were. Can't we just have one day? And yet Jesus responds, look at, or, yeah, look at the scripture from Mark 6, 34. It says, he had compassion on them because they were like sheep without a shepherd. So he began teaching them many things. Luke tells us in verse, chapter 9, verse 11, he says, he welcomed them, Jesus, he welcomed them. And spoke to them about the kingdom of God and healed those who needed healing. Now you might think that Jesus is one who has a very poor ability to do boundaries. You might think, okay, Jesus should have just said, we're off today. But I really think this is important for us to see. All the gospel writers wanted us to see this story 
one of the most powerful moments in Jesus's ministry occurred when Jesus was planning to do something else. He was interrupted. How many of us look at interruptions that way? We have a plan. I love plans. We have a plan and it goes different. But Jesus stopped and he did ministry. And it's the only story that all the gospel writers tell us. This is where we see the, the miracle of Jesus feeding 5,000 people when he had planned to do something else. Pay attention, people. Use Lent to stop and listen to the interruptions. The person that's in front of you at the grocery store may not just be there as somebody who blocks your path or is in front of you or slowing you up. They may be the person that you need to talk to. The phone call that you get, the text message may be the interruption that says you need to stop and do ministry. That's what we see Jesus do. Challenge yourself. How do you see interruptions? So much we can gain from this story when you stop and think about what takes place. Do y'all realize that so much of what happens in Jesus' life is paralleled in the Old Testament? Let me read to you a story that comes in 2 Kings. It's about Elijah. Elijah, 2 Kings chapter 4 says, A man came from Baal Shalazah, bringing the man of God 20 loaves of barley bread baked from the first ripe grain along with some new heads, some heads of new grain. Give it to the people to eat, Elijah said. How can I set this before a hundred men, his servant asked. But Elijah answered, give it to the people to eat. For this is what the Lord says, they will eat and have some left over. Then he set it before them and they ate and had some left over according to the word of God. Sound familiar? 20 loaves, a hundred people. So what does it say? That in Jesus' miracle, there's just a few loaves and a few fish, but he feeds 5,000 men. And that's not including the women and the children. I think one of the things we can draw from the story that all the gospel writers wanted us to see was that Jesus is more powerful than any prophet. Jesus is more powerful than anything that we have had before us. Anything that you see in your life that you see as the obstacle, Jesus is more powerful than that. And that's some of the simple illustration that we can see in the feeding of the 5,000. There's a parallel to Moses. Moses led the people of Israel out of slavery of Egypt. What's the very first thing that the people of Israel complained about? Food. What are we going to eat? And Moses goes to God and is like, what are they going to eat? How am I supposed to keep them fed? And God says, don't worry. Every morning you're going to wake up. And there's going to be some white substance on the ground that you're going to be able to ground up and make bread. And for 40 years, you're going to eat it every day, but you're going to have it provided for you. And you're going to have manna. Anybody know what manna means? What is that? 
That is literally what manna means. They looked at it on the ground and said, what is that? And it is manna. It is God's provision. God provided for them in a desert place, in a deserted place, when they were hungry and God provided. Just like this isolated place in Bethsaida. And John helps us see that there is a parallel to the story. Look at what John records when he tells us the story. He says, I am the bread of life. Your ancestors ate the manna in the wilderness, yet they died. But here is the bread that comes down from heaven, which anyone may eat and not die. I am the living bread that came down from heaven. Whoever eats this bread will live forever. The miracle of the 5,000 that all of the gospel writers wanted to see us is that the truth of Christ satisfies that deepest longing inside of us. When you receive Holy Communion, you are acknowledging that you have received Jesus Christ and that that fulfills the deepest longing of meaning and purpose and joy in your life. All of this occurs in the most powerful story that we read where all of the Gospels record. And yet I think there's more. For me, when I read this story, I want you to listen to it again as we go back to verses 12 and 13. Jesus had been teaching all day and it said, Late in the afternoon, the twelve, the disciples, came to him and said, Send the crowd away so that they can go to the surrounding villages and countryside and find food and lodging. Because we are in a remote place here, he replied, you give them something to eat. And I want you to pause there, and I want you to hear what Jesus says. He says to the disciples, you give them something to eat. In John's account, Philip comes back and argues, how can we possibly feed them? We don't have that food. We don't have the money. It would take six months of wages, if not more, to be able to feed these people. And Jesus says, just bring me what you have. It may seem like an impossible task, church, but just give me what you have, Jesus says. And they had five loaves, two fish. And Jesus takes the bread. He blesses it. He breaks it. And he gives it to the disciples. And then he says, give it to the people. Give them something to eat. I read that over and over again. And I want to ask you again, how did that work? Do y'all ever read the Bible and like, how did that occur? How did that happen? I mean, do y'all think, and, and it's fine to think this. Do you think that Jesus prayed over the loaves and the fish, and poof, there was just so much loaves and fish that were everywhere. Is that how it worked? I mean, if you read the Gospels, that, that supernatural action, it seems like that's what happens, right? Is that what's possible? But one detail causes me to question. It says when it's all over, they had 12 basketfuls of bread. And here was the question that made me want to think. Where did the baskets come from? Have you ever thought about that? Where did the baskets come from? It may have been supernatural. And you may not like my reasoning. 
The Gospels certainly indicate a supernatural effect. But I think the disciples gave what they had. Five loaves and two fish. And there were people along the hillside. They were better prepared. And they had a basket full of food. And they were going to keep it to themselves. And they began to see the disciples giving everything they had. And they decided to open up their basket and give it to their neighbor and give it to their neighbor. And there were people who saw what they were doing. They had not opened up their basket yet. They were hoarding it even more. And I think they saw the disciples and they saw the effect that that had on somebody else that had in the past kept it to themselves. And then they began to realize, you know what? I can do that. I can give what I have. And you may not like that explanation because you want the supernatural part, which is fine if that's where you are. But let me tell you something. A changed heart is no less a miracle. And I think they just began to share what it was that they had. And I think it is a beautiful illustration of how God works. And every gospel writer wanted you to see it. Here's how we tend to operate. And I'm just being honest. This is how we tend to think. We don't want to go out and share the gospel because we're so afraid somebody is going to ask us a question that we don't know. And so we're going to spend years and years and years and years and years and years. You can just keep going. Trying to study so that we can come up with an answer before we ever go and share it. I'm going to work, I'm going to, I'm going to try to, to figure out what I can do before I could ever lead anybody. I hear that all the time. What do you want me to do? I just don't want to lead. Give what you have. That's what this story talks about. See, the mindset of the disciples were they focused on what they didn't have. And Jesus says, focus on what you've got. Give what you have. Give what you have, and I'll do the rest. Are you paying attention, church? Because when Jesus was with them at his table, he took the bread, he broke it, he gave thanks. And he said, take, eat, this is my body, which is given for you. And when the supper was over, he took the cup. So this is my blood poured out for you and for many for the forgiveness of sins. As often as you drink it, do this in remembrance of me. And if you know how our liturgy goes from that point we say and we remember the mighty acts of Jesus Christ as we offer ourselves with praise and thanksgiving it's holy and living sacrifices in union with Christ Jesus as we proclaim the mystery of faith Christ has died Christ is risen and Christ will come again that's the words that we as the church have proclaimed 
for thousands of years that we will be holy and living sacrifices. On that hillside sat 5,000 men. They were broken. They were sinners. Their lives were messed up. And Jesus fed them. And he said to his disciples, give them something to eat. I think about as we receive communion in just a moment. We are surrounded by people who are hurt, who are broken, whose lives are messed up. And I believe that through this story, we can hear what Jesus would say to us. Give them something to eat. You, the church, give them something to eat.